here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So watch your local theater listing. I love listening to Mexican radio to the commercials. It's all in Spanish, except when it comes to money. $49.99. They don't want to be misunderstood. We're on a journey through Acts, the fifth gospel, the continuation of the ministry of Jesus through his church. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. And he sent that son into the world to Bethlehem of Israel, an excursion for a while in Egypt, and then back to Israel, to Nazareth, to grow up, and then at the age of 30, to be baptized by John the Baptist and begin his public ministry after a lengthy fast. And for three and a half years, he impacted his part of the world. And upon his departure, he sent the Holy Spirit to empower his believers to continue the ministry he began, and they began to spread the gospel from beyond the borders of Israel and Samaria into the Roman Empire, which that red area there in the the upper middle part of the the screen there in North Africa and Southern Europe and uh, West Asia, the land of Turkey, is where they first went. Paul, who's our character in the story now, goes on his first missionary journey in Acts 13 and takes a ministry team onto the island of Cyprus and then up into Turkey, which then was called Galatia and some other name, Pamphylia, into some cities, planted churches, and then circled back, visited those places, and then went right back to where he came from, his home church in Antioch of Syria. Today he is wrapping up his second journey and going back to Jerusalem, and then back up to Syria. So, our text begins, we're looking at today, Acts 18, verse 18. It says, he took leave of the brethren. At this time, he is in Corinth of southern Greece. He took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. But he didn't go directly to Syria. He left in order to go to Syria. He goes Uh, across the Aegean Sea into what we call Western Turkey to Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila, they were a young couple in ministry, tent makers that he worked with. He had his hair cut off. He got a haircut at Centria before they boarded ship for he had taken a vow. I'm not sure what that vow was. Uh, People have guessed, but why waste our time guessing? Verse 19, he came to Ephesus, which is in Turkey, Um, and left them there, and he himself, before leaving, goes to the synagogue and reasons with the Jews, because the gospel is to the Jew first, verse 20. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them. Now, this is quite a contrast from other, other places where he got thrown out of town. Here they ask him to stay, and he leaves. But he left Aquila and Priscilla there with them to help establish a church. And they established a strong church, 
A book of the Bible is devoted to them, and nothing negative was said in order to correct them. And even in the letter of Jesus in the book of Revelation written to them was very complimentary of their devotion to the truth of the gospel. So he left them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea, which is on the coast of Israel, when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, that's his trip to Jerusalem, he went down to Antioch, a northern trek, some 400 miles down from Jerusalem, down in elevation to Antioch of Syria, which is a part of the world that's very much in the news right now. After he had spent some time there, a year or two probably, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So he goes right back the circuit he had run, heading back to Ephesus. Now there's a parenthetical paragraph. Luke takes the story back to Ephesus where Paul had left. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, so he was an Egyptian Jew, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. John the Baptist's ministry was so powerful that here we are decades after the resurrection and he is still, <laughs> his message is still spreading. The Messiah is coming, believe on him. and Jesus is the Messiah. So Apollos didn't quite have all the information he needed to preach the gospel, but he was being faithful with what he knew. Verse 26, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla, who were stationed there in Ephesus, heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. They told him the rest of the story. No doubt, as we'll see in the next few verses, they probably rebaptized him. Verse 27, and when he had desired to cross to Achaia, he's going to go back where Paul had come from, back to Corinth. The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So he leaves Ephesus, goes to southern Greece, to Achaia, to Corinth, and there begins to be a great help to the church. Now the church at this time was organic. It was human. It was built around Jewish culture. It was an awesome time in their history. And so they don't have high-speed internet or means of communication other than letters and messengers. So for the church in Corinth to know that Apollos was a man of God, Aquila and Priscilla wrote him a reference letter, just like in our time. If you want a job, people ask for references. If you want to rent a house, people ask for references. That's why it's good not just to leave your landlord in the lurch or just quit jobs just because you get mad at them because that can come back to haunt you. It hurts your reputation, hurts your references. So based on his reputation in 
Ephesus, he went to Corinth with references, which helped expedite his ministry. And he was a great influence there. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes a letter to this church in Corinth. He's addressing their sectarianism, and he's trying to relate to them the truth that we're all children of God. We are all related together through the gospel and what Jesus did for us on the cross. And no matter who he uses, we're not to set up camps around our favorite preacher kind of kind of thing. And he said this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Isn't that awesome? Maybe you were saved uh, through the ministry of an evangelist that has fallen away, fallen into sin, or turned away from the gospel. And maybe that's caused you great concern. Well, the good news is God's the one that saves, right? He uses humans. Humans come and go, but the gospel is eternal. The kingdom will never die. Amen? Maybe the church you were saved in no longer exists, and that is a discouragement to you. But be thankful. God used those people to reach you. But know this, kingdom of God never dies. One day this planet's going to blow up. Everything's going to melt with a fervent heat. This building won't exist anymore. But the kingdom is eternal. Can I get an amen? amen. All right, back to, back to Paul. So he has left Antioch, and he's gone back to where he had come from, and he arrives back in Ephesus. It says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, he's going through mountain country, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, verse 3, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him that is on Christ Jesus. So John the Baptist's baptism was a ritual cleansing in preparation for the Messiah who was coming. But New Testament water baptism, the Messiah's already come right? So our baptism doesn't look forward to him coming. Our baptism recognizes that he came, that he was buried, and that he arose from the dead. And so it is when we're baptized, we are buried in water, rising to walk in newness of life. When they heard this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're baptized again. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So Paul meets a dozen believers who needed to be baptized and hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit. And so they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus according to his command, into his authority, and Paul laid hands on, on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, and in their case, with tongues and prophecy. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, life's most important questions. Can we pray? 
Lord, I thank you for this amazing story. I pray, Lord, we would glean from it what we need for our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Question number one, have you really believed the good news of Jesus? Or have you just done a respectful nod toward the Christian message? Or are you a true believer? Jesus said everywhere he went, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. Here is the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Can everybody say live? For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The world doesn't need your condemnation. It doesn't need my condemnation. Christ didn't come and condemn the world. The world is already condemned. Before we were believers, we were dead in trespasses and sin. Condemned. But Christ came to bring salvation out of condemnation. Deliverance out of our damned state. So, if you truly believe the good news, great. Next question. Have you been baptized since you've become a believer? In Acts chapter 8, Philip, we heard this a few Sundays back, met a man from Ethiopia. He was traveling back home, reading the book of Isaiah, And Philip boards his chariot and explains to him the good news of Jesus. They come to some water. The chariot stops. The Ethiopian says, hey, here's water. Can I be baptized? What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, you can if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch said, the Ethiopian said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice Philip did not rush him into a baptistry. He made sure he was a believer. It is possible some Christians and some churches preach water baptism so strong that they wind up getting a bunch of unbelievers wet, and there's no blessing in that. The blessing is for believers. So if you were baptized before you were a believer, I recommend you pray based on this sermon and this word today, this story from Acts 19, whether or not, now that you're a believer, that you follow that up by being baptized. Jesus said, go into all the world, Mark 16, and preach the good news, the gospel, to every creature. Somebody said everybody. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. Why didn't he say he who is not baptized? Because if you're not baptized and you don't believe, it doesn't matter anyway, right? It all starts with saving faith. By grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. So if you've heard the good good news of Jesus, that God so loved you that he sent his son to live a perfect life and to take upon himself our wickedness and the the, the humanity of sin put him to death on the cross, God allowed it to happen so that an innocent man 
dying an undeserved death could be the substitute for the world. How is that possible? It's possible just as easy as someone who gets a speeding ticket. Let's say you got a speeding ticket. And I went, this ain't going to happen, but I went to the courthouse and paid your fine. Is there going to be a warrant issued for your arrest? No. Justice has been served, right? Jesus paid our fine. That's the gospel in a nutshell. If you've heard that and you find yourself beginning to believe that, that is saving faith dawning in your heart. Why not? Why not take the next step and be baptized? now that you are becoming a believer. Next question. You're a believer. You've been baptized. Have you received the Holy Spirit since believing? Or when you believed did you receive the Holy Spirit? In their case, they hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit, and in their case, they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, the people were believers in Samaria, and they were baptized, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit till the apostles laid hands on them. In Acts chapter 10, before they're baptized, they become believers and they get filled with the Holy Ghost. And then they were baptized. So there's not a perfect sequence to this. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit the instant you're saved. It can happen. Or it can happen before you're baptized or after you're baptized. The key is, believing is the bottom line. That is the foundation to it all. If God's given you the ability to believe the good news, you need to be baptized. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's just in the book of Acts. And we see it right here. Um, we saw it in Acts 8. We saw it in Acts 10. We saw it in Acts 2. And we see it in other places backed up by Scripture in the New Testament. Jesus himself prophesied this in John 7.37 on the last and greatest day of the festival. Jesus stood and said with a loud voice, let everyone who is thirsty, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, whoever believes in me as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Some people believe in Jesus, but not as a scripture is said. They have a married Jesus or a homeboy Jesus or a gay Jesus or a culturally sensitive Jesus, but he's not the Jesus of the scriptures. He said, he who believes in me, as a scripture has said, out of his heart, his innermost being. The King James says, his belly will flow rivers of living water. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. So here is a promise. And he told, we saw at the beginning of this series, he told them, wait in Jerusalem till you're endued with power. The, the Holy Spirit, I've told you about it. You'll, be power to be my, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. This is an old book called They Found the Secret by V. Raymond Edmund. And in this book are the stories of 20 men and women of God who were believers, but they experienced a life change through 
the filling of the Holy Spirit. Hudson Taylor, John Bunyan, Andrew Murray, Amy Carmichael, Oswald Chambers, Charles Finney, and others. Somehow in their experience with God, they came to a point of desperation, wanting more for the Lord, wanting more from the Lord, and they were filled with the Spirit, and it made a dramatic difference in their lives. James Robinson can tell you the same. Billy Graham can tell you the same. They had an encounter with the Holy Spirit where they were empowered for ministry, and it made a big difference in their ministry. It's kind of like sailboats. You can study how to make a sailboat. You can know how to make a sailboat. You can make a sailboat. You can go out on your sailboat and enjoy being there and have all this information in your head, but you're not going to enjoy the full benefit of that sailboat till you hoist the sail and catch the wind with the adjustment of the mast and, and the rudder. You begin to have impact. So some people in their ministry has been like in rowboats. But when they got filled with the Spirit, like the wind filling the sail, they were empowered for ministry, and it made a tremendous difference in their life. So maybe you've received the Holy Spirit. Maybe you haven't. If you have, this next question is for us all. Have you continually asked for the Holy Spirit? Have you asked to be filled every day? Have you truly asked to receive the Holy Spirit? Jesus said this in Luke eleven nine 9 through 12, verse 9. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 11. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Any daddies in the house like that? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Maybe you never asked because you didn't know to ask. Maybe you never asked because you were told not to ask. Maybe you never asked because you were told you got all that you needed when you got saved. Salvation is awesome. Christ paid it all. It is finished. Everything is in him that we need for life and godliness. He is the sufficient one. Can I get an amen? amen? But John the Baptist said he is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. So the fullness of Jesus is yet to be experienced by the church, even in my own life. I think God has more for me. Next question. Have you learned about spiritual gifts? 1 Corinthians 12, 1. He begins, now concerning spiritual gifts, or now concerning spirituals, literally is what he says, charismatas, Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. The old King James Version says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you ignorant. Now, 
Somebody misquoted that one time and said, the Bible says now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you ignorant, brethren. Okay, well, I thought it was funny. Whether we're ignorant or not, God wants us. Now, sometimes it's not ignorance, sometimes it's just misinformation. He talks about spiritual gifts in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. Chapter 13 is about the greatest gift of all, love. And in that is one phrase that says, tongues will cease. When that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away with. So here's the misinformation. You have the freedom to disagree with me, I will still love you and we still walk in harmony and peace and all that stuff. But I have to declare what I believe is true. Perfection is coming. It's not yet here. If I don't wear arches in my shoes, my heel hurts for some reason. What is that? That's imperfection. The rest of that teaching goes, the Bible is perfect They didn't have the Bible yet. It was still being written. And so now we have the Bible, so we no longer need tongues because tongues will cease. That's what it says. Okay? Well, just think with me for a minute. Let's just think. Would the existence of a textbook do away with one of the subjects of the book? Like this information is going to do away with this information. Well, then why even include the information in the information? It's one verse that says tongues will cease. And you have to be super careful to build a belief and a doctrine and a church on one verse. Well, isn't John 3.16 in the Bible one time? Of course, that's an address. But the truth of John 3.16 is in the Bible many times, right? Tongues will cease as in there one time. You have as much Bible to to start promoting snake handling. There's snake handler churches. Drinking poison. Playing with fire. Baptizing for the dead. These things cults do because they have one verse. Playing with bugs. One verse. You need, if it is a truth for all time, For our time, you need that truth to be in there more than once. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That is a biblical principle. Now, I know part of the cessationism is a reaction to uh, overexcited Pentecostals. Can I get an amen? (laughs) But just because somebody pushes things too far should not promote us pushing things too far the other way. I want to be down the middle of the road. I want to live in the radical middle, not in the mediocre ditch. Some people are so cutting edge, they've fallen off the edge, fallen away from the Scriptures, adding to the Word. The point of saying tongues will cease when perfection comes is love will never stop. So the day will come when my heels will never have any issues. 
The day will come when, when tongues will no longer exist. Prophecy will never exist. Uh, spiritual gifts won't exist. But love will always exist. This church building won't exist. We'll be in heaven. But love will always exist. That's why it's so important. God knows there's enough mean tongue talkers in the world that I don't think actually speak in tongues as the Spirit gives utterance. I think somebody talked them into jibber-jabbering and they say they got the Holy Ghost. They're just so mean, there's no love. So the bottom line of spiritual gifts is letting the love of God find its destination through us to help somebody. Amen. All right. Here's some signs that a person's been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts and in Joel. Acts 1, Jesus said the sign would be power to be witnesses. Speaking in tongues is is in Acts in three places. Prophesying is in Acts in two places. Dreams and visions is mentioned in one place. Speaking the word of God with boldness is mentioned in Acts 4 as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 10, they spoke in tongues and magnified God, supernatural worship. Acts 13, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So we're not saying tongues is the only sign that someone has been filled with the Holy Spirit. We can see from this there are other signs as well. Spiritual gifts, the spreading of the ministry of Jesus, how can we continue what Jesus began in our own strength? Amen? Final question, this is so important for us all. Have you been seeking to be filled with the Spirit? I think this is to be part of our lifestyle based on what Paul told the church in Ephesus in his letter. He said, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation or wastefulness, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can you give thanks always for everything? You can't do it some days without the power of the Holy Spirit, without the wind of the Spirit and your sail, you're going to get in the mully grubs at some point. You need help of the Lord. Watch this. It was the Greek philosopher Aristotle who first argued that nature abhors a vacuum. He observed how matter seems to fill up whatever space it's given, and inferred from this that it is impossible for a vacuum to exist, that the surrounding material would always move in to fill any empty space. Thousands of years later, scientists have developed much more sophisticated ways of studying vacuums, but even so, they have discovered that no vacuum is ever perfectly free of matter. So perhaps Aristotle was right after all. This explains, incidentally, why a balloon is never really empty. As air leaves the balloon, rather than leaving an empty vacuum behind, the air pressure pressing in on the balloon from outside forces it to collapse so that the remaining air inside the balloon fills it evenly again. Even when it is completely empty, there is still air inside it, evenly distributed throughout the space. 
Whether or not nature does abhor a vacuum, the fact that a balloon is always full of air, regardless of how much air it's full of, is a useful image for one of the central aspects of the Christian life, the idea that Christians can, and should be, filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have the life of Jesus alive in us by his Holy Spirit in a real and concrete way so that he is prompting and guiding and directing us from the inside out. And the Bible is quite clear that this is supposed to be a normal part of the everyday Christian experience. What is not clear is how exactly this filling by the Holy Spirit happens. Does it happen spontaneously when we first believe in Jesus as our Savior? Does it happen when we are baptized? Does it happen in a special moment after we've believed? Or does it happen as a result of our obedience? to the teachings of Jesus. Interestingly enough, there are Bible verses that suggest the answer is yes to each one of these things. In one place it says that we received the Spirit through faith. In another place it says we should be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. In another place it says God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. And in still other places it describes Christians being filled with the Spirit after they have believed. So which is it? Faith? Obedience? Baptism? A one-time event? Or an ongoing experience? And this is where the analogy of the balloon may be helpful. Because whether or not nature abhors a physical vacuum, the Holy Spirit, it seems, abhors a spiritual vacuum. He is always ready to fill up as much space as is available to him in our lives. In this sense, Christians are like the balloon that is always full, regardless of how much air is in it. When we first come to faith, even though we don't yet have much experience with the Holy Spirit, still, inasmuch as no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when we are baptized and our experience of God expands through our experience of baptism, the Holy Spirit fills that new space he's opened in us and we are, at baptism, filled with the Holy Spirit. And later, when we have special moments where we experience God's grace or take special steps of obedience with him, and our life with Jesus expands because of it, the Holy Spirit fills that new space too. Like the balloon that is full after one puff but can still be filled after twenty, we are filled with the Spirit when we first believe and we still need to be filled with the Spirit through God's ongoing work in our lives. Of course, a balloon isn't much of a balloon until it's filled full, and neither are Christians much in their faith until they've experienced the deeper and greater fillings of the Holy Spirit. But even so, this filling starts to happen the moment we believe. Like the Bible says, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in us, whom we have received from God. Lord, we thank you for the honor of being part of your mission. The honor of taking the baton and continuing what you began. Lord, we recognize we can't do much without your power enabling us, without your wind filling our sail and propelling us forward to doing your things. Help us, Lord, to be open, to being filled with all that you have for us. In Jesus' name. Help us, Lord, to be healed of misinformation, of false teaching on any side of this issue. Make us open people to want all that you have for us, and biblical people to understand what your word actually says. In Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that are here. I pray, Lord, that you would open doors of ministry and that they would see your spirit working through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just, right now, just uh, do a little exercise? Um, just raise your hand and ask the Lord to fill you with the spirit. Say, Father, you're a good father, and you know how to give good gifts to your children. I ask you to fill me with your spirit. 
challenge you to do that every day. And to spend some time with the Lord. Give Him, give him some space in your life to fill with His Spirit. In Jesus' name. We're saved, we're translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. And there's three important things that are part of our life. There's God's Word, there's God's people, and there's God's Spirit. We need all three in fullness. If you just check out church every now and then, you really need to get connected. If you're connected, but you're not reading the scriptures, the word of God, not part of your life, you need to begin to eat the bread of life. And if you're really into the scriptures, but you, you, you never seek experientially what is yours positionally, I challenge you today to do just that. The middle verses of the Bible, there's an even number of scriptures in the Bible, so the first half ends with Psalm 103, verse 1. that says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The second half of the Bible, if you divided it in half, the second half begins with Psalm 103, verse 2. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. It's possible to have a job and be fully employed but not experiencing the full benefits of your employment because you've not read the fine print. Don't get ripped off. Receive all that is yours. Jesus died to make provision for us. It is finished so that we can receive all that we